Well, good morning to everybody who's watching this morning and a happy Easter to all of you. I was recently thinking back to last Easter, which was, it was just two or three weeks into the lockdown. And uh, I was preaching from my living room. Um, this, this is not my living room, by the way. Um, but I was preaching from my living room and we were just trying to get to grips with what was going on. I wonder what you remember from that time. I'm guessing that you were probably experiencing a whole mixture of different emotions. There'll have been some fear, anxiety uh, at this unfolding situation that was so uncertain. There would probably been some frustration at not being able to do certain things and confusion and disorientation. And actually, maybe for some, a sense of excitement and opportunity at this new lifestyle that was being forced upon us. But whatever emotions we were feeling, and as I said, there would have been a whole mixture of emotions, I think that we were all hoping and, and maybe even assuming one thing. We were, we were hoping that this was going to be over relatively quickly and that we'd be able to get back to normal as quickly as possible. Well, of course, it's been a roller coaster of a year in the meantime with just hugely fluctuating emotions, depending on how you have experienced this year and how it's impacted your life. But it does kind of feel like our hopes have been toyed with across this year. So remember Christmas, uh, a bit of hope dangled in front of all of us about spending Christmas with family. And then that hope was snatched away. And actually, for some people, that was pretty devastating. And now, of course, there are some seeds of hope that we may be emerging from this. But, you know, if this year has taught us anything, it's just how fragile that hope is. Now, hope is important. Hope is really important because how we understand the future shapes how we live in the now. So if we pin our hopes on, on everything opening up on the 21st of June, well, that will affect how we live now and how we see our circumstances. Our perspective on our circumstances right now we will probably see everything in a much more positive light. But equally, if that hope is dashed, then that's going to have a really negative effect on how we live and how we see things now. And, you know, that seems like a pretty shaky foundation for our hope, pretty shaky foundation for our life. We need a hope in our life that goes beyond circumstances. And that's the question I want us to think about today. Where do you find your hope? Where do you find your hope? Because, you know, we all put our hope in something, all of us. It's just part of human nature. If your life has any meaning at all, and, and I think at our core, we're all aware that there is meaning in life. We might not know what it is, but we're all aware of a sense of meaning. And so if your life has any meaning at all, it's because you have hope in something. There's something you live for. There's something that you're willing to sacrifice for. It might be your family, your children, a partner, friends your career, something beyond yourself that you live for and where you find meaning in life. That's where your hope is. But what we celebrate at Easter offers us a different kind of hope. So listen to what it says in 1 Peter 1 verses 3 to 4. Praise be to the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ. In his great mercy, he has given us new birth into a living hope through the resurrection of Jesus Christ from the dead and into an inheritance that can never perish, spoil or fade, kept in heaven for you. Now, this is a different kind of hope. 
This is a living hope, a hope that doesn't fade, a hope that doesn't die, a hope that is bound in an unchangeable event that has already happened, the resurrection of Jesus. And it's a hope that's linked to this inheritance that is permanent and eternal, kept in heaven for you. That means it's guaranteed. It means it's utterly secure. It can't be removed. It's kept for you. And a bit later on, I'll, I'll, I'll come to you know what that inheritance is and, and how you can get hold of this hope. But let's just think a bit more about why we need a living hope and why and how it works in our lives if we have it. So back to the idea that the hope we have determines how we live in the now. Well, I wonder whether this last year has exposed in you some false hopes, some unhelpful hopes, some false narratives in our lives. As we've seen certain foundations threatened and shaken, you know, things that we took for granted that suddenly became so uncertain. Things like education, education of our, of our children, our health, our jobs, uh, material wealth, relationships, relational networks, being in control and planning things for the future. Because, you know, what kind of a future are we planning for? We don't know. It's so uncertain. And that passage that I just read out about our living, about this living hope, that was from a letter in the Bible written by Peter, the Apostle Peter. And it was written to a group of Christians who had lost all of those things that I just mentioned. They lost all of those things and more because they were being persecuted for their faith. You know, they were suffering really badly. They were losing jobs, losing livelihoods, but even more than that, they were being imprisoned and they were being killed, killed for their faith. And, and Peter wants to encourage them to hold on to this living hope because he knows how easy it would be to lose hope in those circumstances. But we all know, every one of us, we all know that regardless of faith, some sort of suffering and sorrow is just an inescapable part of life because things go wrong in our lives. Unexpected things happen. Loved ones pass away. And, and that's been brought into sharp focus this year. You can't get through life if you can't get through suffering. Suffering's just a fact of life. And you can't get through suffering if you don't have a hope beyond that suffering. So Viktor Frankl was a Jewish psychotherapist who survived the Holocaust um, during World War II. He was in a, in a concentration camp and he observed and identified four main responses to the unimaginable suffering that, that people went through in those concentration camps. So he said that some people became brutal. That was how they, they responded. Even the nicest people became cruel, brutal. They, you know, they would trample on anyone to survive. It was survival at any cost. And then he said others gave up. They just got to the point of giving up. They refused to get dressed. They refused to wash. They refused to go out on roll call. In spite of the punishments and the beatings that would be handed out, they just gave up. Even the most optimistic people, they just lost all hope. Then there was another group, he said, who held on for some future hope. You know, if I can just survive this, it, then, then I'll get all my hopes back. If I can just stay alive then when this is over, my health, my family, my wealth, my position in society, my professional achievements, all the things that have been their hope before would be fully restored. I, I'm guessing, actually, that's probably where many of us find ourselves today, living in that kind of hope. But the reality for the Jews in the concentration camp turned out very differently because 
Actually, no earthly happiness could compensate for the suffering that they had gone through. And meaning didn't return. And being unprepared for that disillusionment led many people into depression and, and even suicide. But Frankel said that there were a few who were able to keep an inner strength. They were able to keep an inner liberty that somehow raised them above their outward fate. It raised them above their outward circumstances. And it was where they had a hope that suffering and death couldn't destroy. A hope far greater than the things of this world, whether that was a hope in God or in the idea of a friend, a family member, a spouse looking down on you from heaven and not wanting to disappoint them. They had a hope that suffering and death, the worst of circumstances, could not destroy. Now, suffering exposes the weaknesses in the things in which we place our hope, that the things that we're living for. So what is it that you're living for? What is it that makes you say, well, if I could just have that, then I would be happy. Because that, whatever that is, that is what you worship. That's what you're living for. It's your ultimate hope. And if we make any finite, earthly, changeable thing into our ultimate hope, our, our health, our looks, our wealth, our family, position, achievement, you know, none of which are bad in themselves. These are, these are good things in our lives. But if we make any of those things our ultimate hope, well, then suffering is when those things are stripped away. And they can be stripped away at any time. Illness can come at any time. Things can happen at any time. You can lose your job at any time. And the reality is, of course, if you live long enough, that you will lose all those things that you may be putting your hope in. You will lose your health in the end. You will lose your looks. You will lose your career. You'll ultimately lose wealth because you can't take any of it with you. You will lose family members and friends. Those, those things and those hopes get stripped away. And how do we respond when our hopes get stripped away? Well, as Viktor Frankl observed, some might get bitter and brutal and, and cynical. Some might become very disillusioned and, and, or, or just give up. And others might cling to the false hope of getting back what was lost, of everything being fully restored to what it was before. How have you been responding as you've lost certain things over this last year? Where is your hope? Now, before I carry on to talk a bit more about this, this living hope, we're going to hear a great story of hope and faith from two people in our church. So, here is Sam and Benny's story. Uh, hi, uh, this is Sam and uh, Benny. And we got uh, married uh, in 2017 in India. And at the end of uh, 2019, uh, while we were praying, uh, one of the uh, God's minister uh, prophesied over us and uh, he told me that God is going to give you a baby very soon. We believe God and trusted in his uh, promise and within a month uh, Benny got pregnant and we were so happy and we glorified God. 
so in the beginning of 32 week uh, i didn't feel the baby movement uh, much so we went to the labor ward the midwife uh, she uh, she was checking the baby's heartbeat so within few minutes the midwife called the doctor so the doctors uh, came and the doctor said they want to take a scan then the doctor took a scan then the doctor said uh, they want to deliver the baby right away So doctor uh, called me and asked uh, uh, my permission uh, to do the operation because uh, the baby is in very critical stage they told me they told me that uh, the baby lost uh, too much of blood inside mother's uh, womb so they want to operate and deliver the baby right away i said yes and uh, the operation was successful and it was uh, a baby girl and uh, immediately after the operation the, the neonatal doctors and uh, the midwives took the uh, baby into the itc uh, uh, itu ward and um, after 2 to 3 hours uh, and they brought uh, the baby with a lot of uh, tubes uh, connected to her inside a incubator and they also told us um, like she actually lost too much of uh, blood she lost uh, uh, the hemoglobin uh, content it was the rate of hemoglobin was too low so helena had to be transferred to oxford for the better treatment so once we reached there our doctors began to monitor her brain in particular and they were much worried about what they saw and they arranged a meeting with us and they told um, uh, elena's brain is not functioning as expected because uh, they couldn't able to get uh, the proper signals uh, from the brain so they just showed us the graph which representing the brain signals it was uh, flat i mean it was zero it was neither going up or uh, down so the doctor told us uh, it is better uh, to stop the treatment because they couldn't able to um, see any possibility of her to recover and uh, our faith was really put into a test and we went to into a room and we locked and we cried unto the lord and uh, god uh, uh, just reminded us the verse uh, from the chapter numbers uh, 23 19 um and god said he is not a human to forget uh, his uh, promise and uh, we began to uh, confess uh, our lord's resurrection power over helena while she was in the incubator and we started uh, confessing uh, again and again uh, the power of the lord and uh, we believed that the things which are not possible with man is possible with god we asked our church people to pray and our pastor came to the neonatal unit and he prayed for helena he is a powerful god he is awesome god he is an amazing god we were trusting him we were trusting his uh, hope so after we prayed uh, on the third day uh, the miracle started working uh, just we the doctor saw that there was a spike in the uh, graph and uh, they told even though it is not enough but it is some sort of signal is coming from brain of helena helena was started to respond very well she started to open her eyes and wiggle her arms and legs and her bubble movement was doing perfect and the the, the uh, doctors and uh, the nurses who took care of helena in the uh, itc ward when they started seeing helena to recover so well after seeing that uh, uh, her uh, uh, opening her eyes and uh, when she started to uh, wiggle her arms and uh, uh, ants they were so happy and they started to call 
uh, her a miracle baby because nobody expected her to recover in a such a short time and she was discharged for spending nearly 36 uh, days in hospital and before leaving the doctors uh, want to make sure that everything is well with uh, helena so they booked an appointment in a couple of months to appear for uh, mri and uh, eye test and we were uh, praying for that especially our home group uh, members supported us in uh, prayer and uh, we went uh, to the hospital for scans and uh, there was such a joy to hear when uh, uh, the doctor told all the reports were normal as good as the normal term baby is Uh, thank you church for your praise and support it was really encouraging us that uh, difficult time so we really appreciate uh, appreciated everyone each and every one prayers thank you very much we learned that no matter what the situation is if we believe the lord he is good and faithful to keep his promise amen amen well, what a great story of of God's power of, of faith and of hope in suffering and and you know I remember going to the hospital to pray for Helena and I can't claim to have been full of faith at that time but just look at what God did but here's the thing you know of course we rejoice that Helena was healed what what a wonderful miracle and how amazing to see her in that video happy healthy smiling and laughing but you know what goes even deeper than that even than that healing is the hope that Sam and Benny had that led them to pray in the first place and to call others to pray and the hope that they leaned into in that situation and i know i know that if things had gone differently with helena if that healing hadn't happened i know that that hope would have remained because it's a living hope it's a hope that isn't dependent on circumstances it's a hope that suffering and even death cannot destroy Now, I I drew something for you a bit earlier. I'm not renowned for my artistic skills and uh I'm still not renowned for my artistic skills. But what do you see here? What do you see? I'm guessing that you see a black dot. But of course the reality is that most of the paper is not the dot. Now, if this dot represents suffering in an area or maybe in several areas of your life, well hope doesn't deny the existence of the dot it doesn't dismiss the pain or the reality of the dot but it also says that there is so much more that cannot be touched or changed by this dot now if all you see is the dot then you'll be consumed by your suffering you'll be consumed by hopelessness when you're suffering when your ultimate hope is taken away but a living hope that doesn't die and is not subject to circumstances says that this is not the end of the story as difficult as these circumstances might be this is not the end of the story the best is yet to come there's so much more than the black dot in fact peter uh, takes it a step further so in verse 6 he says this in this in in this living hope in in this inheritance in this you greatly rejoice though now for a little while you may have had to suffer grief in all kinds of trials and we know the trials that these people he's writing to have been have, have been through and are going through but peter is saying something amazing he's saying that because of this living hope you can rejoice even in even at the same time as 
suffering. That you can know deep joy at the same time as deep sorrow. You know, without that living hope, joy and sorrow, well, they tend to eat each other up. That they're mutually exclusive. If your hope is in the circumstances of life, it's one or the other. When things go bad, you're sad. And when things go well, you're happy. But Peter's talking about something extraordinary, that if your deepest hope is rooted in Jesus, if you have this living hope, well, then when circumstances in life are bad or maybe really bad, what it does is it drives you more into your actual ultimate hope. He's saying that sorrow and suffering can actually increase joy without dismissing or ignoring the sorrow and the suffering. It's a bit like when gold goes through the fire. The gold is not destroyed, but it's refined, it's purified. And if you've been born again into a living hope, sorrow can drive you deeper into joy. It's a bit like the thermostat you have in your house. You know, when the cold comes in, the thermostat fires the heating. In fact, the heating coming on is dependent on the cold. Sorrow increases joy and actually knowing that deep joy enables sorrow because we tend to run away from sorrow because we don't like it we we look for things to deflect us from that we we look for escapes from trials but when we run from sorrow when we don't grieve and when we don't process something properly it it hardens our heart it does something in our heart but the deep joy that comes from having a living hope allows you to know sorrow without hardening your heart without bitterness without hopelessness And in the presence of sorrow, joy gets brighter, like the stars get brighter as the night gets darker. And so we need this living hope, a hope that doesn't die, a hope that doesn't change with circumstances, a hope that's not subject to changeable circumstances that are beyond our control. An infinite reference point, a living and eternal hope to be able to handle suffering and sorrow when it comes, as it surely does and surely will. And to be able to handle life, we need a living hope. So how do we get it? This living hope, how do we get it? Well, we get it by believing the gospel. That's what the Bible tells us. We get it by believing the gospel and receiving new birth, a new nature from God. It's understanding that the resurrection of Jesus really happened, new birth into a living hope through the resurrection of Jesus, that the resurrection really happened. And by the way, there really is no plausible alternative explanation for the birth and the growth of the church other than the historical fact of the resurrection of Jesus. Nothing else explains it. And the resurrection validates everything that Jesus said and did. You know, if someone says, well, I'm going to die and I'm going to be raised to life three days later, and that's what happens, well, that's someone you take notice of. That's someone you listen to. It means that this really was God himself dying in our place, sacrificing himself to bring us freedom. That on the cross, Jesus was given everything we deserve. And we know that the human record, our sin and rejection of God, deserves condemnation and rejection from God. But the gospel is that if you believe in him, you get from God what he deserved. You get the record he deserved. You get that credited to you. And as a result, you are reconciled to God for eternity. That's the gospel. 
That's the good news. You're born into this living hope, not through your good deeds or your achievements, but through the death and resurrection of Jesus Christ, the only perfect sinless man who ever lived and who offered himself up on your behalf so that you could enjoy everything he deserves for eternity. That is the inheritance that will never perish, spoil or fade. You will get everything Jesus deserves, engulfed in God's love, knowing his delight, knowing his approval, living in glory for eternity. That is the inheritance. He is our living hope. He offers a salvation. He offers a rescue that's not based on your performance or on your circumstances. Because, you know, everybody is trying to save themselves. We're all aware that there's something wrong with the world and that there's something wrong in each of us. But outside of Jesus, whatever you think will save you won't. It will fail you in the end. It will let you down in the end. You can't save yourself through your own efforts or your own goodness. You are saved only by Jesus' efforts and his goodness. You know, you don't submit your righteous record to God in the expectation that he now owes you something. No, no, no. You submit your life to God and you receive Jesus' righteous record as a gift and you get to live in freedom. If you're looking to any finite, earthly, temporary thing to satisfy you and to give you a sense of meaning and self-worth, it will let you down in the end. And can your career die for your sins? Can, can your career bring ultimate and lasting satisfaction? Can it forgive you when you fail? No, it's going to punish you when you fail. There is only one living hope. There is only one saviour who can satisfy you and who can forgive you when you fail him because he's already paid the price. He's paid the debt with his own life. There's only one saviour who will never and can never let you down. Jesus lived the life that we should have lived. He died the death we deserve. He did it on our behalf so that we can be completely and eternally accepted by God. That is our living hope. That is our inheritance. If we receive the new birth he gives us. And so the question is, have you received that? Have you received that? Do you, and do you want to receive that? Because I'm going to give you the opportunity now to take that first step if you want to. Now, if you're aware that the things you've been placing your hope in, as good as those things are, that they're not strong enough foundations for your life and it's time to put your trust in Jesus, to, to follow him, to, to receive the new life and the living hope he offers. And, and it's not to be done lightly, by the way, because this will change your life. It really will. It's not to be done lightly. But for some of you, you know, you know that God is calling your name today. And so I'm going to give you an opportunity now to respond to him. So why don't you close your eyes for a few moments and if you already know Jesus, just take some time now to thank him. You know, ask him to fill you with his power, to fill you with his spirit, to know his presence with you. And if you've lost sight of that hope, if you're, if you, if you know Jesus, but actually you feel like you've lost sight of hope, it feels like the darkness is consuming you, ask him to remind you again. Ask him to shine his light into your life and to fill you again. And if you don't know Jesus, you're not a follower of Jesus, but you want to know him, you want to receive that living hope he offers. I'm going to pray a prayer now. And if you're responding to Jesus for the first time, 
Just make this your prayer. Make it your own prayer as I pray. Dear God, thank you for the living hope that you offer. I need that hope in my life. Today, I choose to open up my life to you and to follow you, Jesus. I want to know your resurrection power in my life. I want to find my meaning and my worth in you and not in any finite earthly thing. Thank you that you have paid the debt of my sin in full. Thank you for your forgiveness. And thank you for the wonderful inheritance you have guaranteed for me. I ask you to come into my life, to be Lord of my life. I ask you to give me the strength to turn from sin and to lead the kind of life you want me to lead. I ask you to fill me with your Holy Spirit and with your love. I give myself to you today my living hope. Thank you, Jesus. Amen. Amen. Now, if you prayed that prayer with me, uh, that's a great first step. It really is a great first step. And we'll let you know in a few minutes what you can do next, what your next steps might be. But what we're going to do now is worship God together. So thank you so much for listening today. Happy Easter and let's worship him together.